0: guys and welcome to a brand new episode of well true talk how are you guys doing today so in this episode we are going to talk about it recruiting and what i've dubbed the abc of it recruiting i'm going to fly over some terms that you might find into in it job listings and these terms will help you out sort of getting your way around it maybe you're new to the entire maybe you're new to the field and you need some experience or you're a recruiter helping out like someone who is close to you to get a job while during this specific time of the year and in this specific year in fact 2020 it was very complicated for many people to get a proper uh, a proper position anywhere because as you may know if you have been looking for jobs in the past like in the um, in this recent in in this recent time uh, recruitings got closed especially for example here in Finland uh, during March April many companies locked down on recruiting due to of course. entire global pandemic situation and they couldn't afford to you know hire more people so they decided to completely shut down in terms of recruiting and things like that so we are I'm going to dive into my experience with IT in a more let's say specific terms I mean you guys know already what I do what I've been doing in the past but this time it's going to be a little bit more focused on what I learned in terms of like programming languages and things like that. Then I'm going to come to six terms. I Actually, let me see here. There are seven terms that I'm going to clarify, I would say, for you. And then there's one question that I would like to point out, which is pretty commonly asked. If you want to start getting into IT or if you... Yeah, if you wish to get started into the IT field. So let's get going with my experience in IT. So I started very, very young. I don't remember actually at what age. I remember that I was in, in elementary school. So around the age of seven, eight, I started to funnel around with um, any kinds of tech. I remember that I got like it wasn't my personal computer, but our family got, like, my family, sorry, got, our like, my first computer, no, sorry, my family got our first family computer when I was nine, I think. I think it was around 2006. I think it was 06. So, since then, I started to funnel around, you know, checking programs, options, and things like that. So, that's where my... Specifically, my IT curiosity spiked, you know, I was getting into anything, especially programs, you know, as I remember that that computer had a pretty hefty Windows package, like office package. I think it was actually a office built computer, you know, those cheap pre-built systems that are only good for office use not really much more. Like the only thing I remember that yeah, I was playing games on them but those games were very old already at the time. So things like they were like seven or eight years old, so they could run on those specific that on that specific hardware. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But you know I started to get into many more programs. I remember that the Microsoft had Programs for pretty much anything. I remember that it was Microsoft Publisher, uh, which is uh, there isn't. I, c- I cannot really draw a modern comparison on what Microsoft Publisher is right now. Like I could sort of draw comparisons to uh, Adobe Dreamweaver, Dreamweaver, Dreamweaver. Yeah, where you can build like web pages and uh, publications in general. So Microsoft Publisher was a, a program more entitled for more entitled for journalists and anyone who was working in the printing business. So you would have you could get templates for, for printing like newspaper, or you can make your own and you can make articles. So I, I remember writing like random fake articles on Publisher just to see how it worked. And I also remember touching upon Microsoft, uh, what's it called, Access, the database management tool, database development and management tool. So it, I didn't know what what it was for, but I remember touch, like, I remember just opening it and look around, I looked around and see what was it. So that was pretty much there. Then things kept on saying there, you know, I was going, you know, I was doing stuff, I was, uh, touching options and things like that then when I grew up I started discovering that <laughs> that things like that there are different operating systems there are different ways to you know do things in, in a computer so things just started snowballing there and um, yeah I've always been a tech guy I would say and uh, pretty much in school I was the tech guy for many years for many, many people, and for especially for a lot of teachers, uh, especially in high school, when uh, you start to get a little bit more recognition aside like out of your, out of your own group, in a way, so many people were asking for me. For example, I remember sometimes during class, <laughs> I was getting like called by other teachers to help them out with tech related with it related issues so it was it was fun but at the same time sometimes it was getting a little bit um i would say a little bit unbearing like a little bit unbearable because you know maybe you were having a class where you needed to focus on and then they were just calling you i was like i'm doing things i cannot come but they were just like insisting so i was like okay fine i'm just i'm just gonna come and see what, what's your problem i mean our especially in high school our high school had like a sort of like an it guy who was going around and helping people you know having who had issues but ninety percent of the time he wasn't there like he was doing other things so he was busy while doing uh, any other kinds he was sort of like a warden in a way so he was also doing warden stuff so i was the second in chief in that in that regard so yeah um after high school, I decided, well, why not trying to program, like to learn programming, and that's the, probably the, the goal, that was the goal. Like, I want to learn programming, I don't know why, but I was just curious to learn, so I started to learn programming at the age of 18, so right out of, straight out of high school, and I started learning Java, and I regretted deeply <laughs> for a few reasons, for because Java is a pretty hard language to wrap around. If you are starting into developing, you would probably need to start with something a little bit simpler. Maybe basic web de- basic web development would be a good a good shot for you. Um, that's what I did next. I started learning Java, and then I got into basic web development. You know, the, the typical HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and then after that started snowballing i mean then i started going to university and in university we got a look at web development we started learning programming through web development so well then things just took a took a u-turn for me uh that you know i'm uh, i moved to ux design and i sort of became uh, i sort of became a designer but now i'm not doing nothing related to to UX design for now. But yeah, so I started with Java, moved into web, basic web development, also started to check some different kinds of frameworks for for web development. So a framework, for those who don't know, it's a set of rules that a programming language can have. And they can take many different shapes it can be a more i would say a a more lenient framework there are frameworks which are more strict and generally frameworks are used to add functionality to a programming language Uh, in this case for example if we're talking about web development generally things like um, frameworks like react for example are used to amplify what javascript can do So I started to check into that. Then I sort of dropped out of it and I moved into other things, more some things that are like some programming languages that are more useful, quote unquote. I mean, React is useful, but in my case, I wanted to do something more related to backend stuff. I'm going to explain what that is in a bit. So I got into Python. I started to learn Android development. Mostly XML and Kotlin, which is now getting uh, phased out and replaced with a framework, like a thing called Flutter by Google. Uh, Kotlin is a programming language. It's a derivative of the Java programming language. And it was developed by Google to simplify Android development, like Android application development. So that was it for a bit until I started to work at. until I started to work as a consultant then I had to learn what is called Bash and Perl which are scripting languages Uh, Bash is more related to Linux Linux terminals uh, but it's a scripting language nonetheless and Perl as well is a scripting language uh, which is used a lot in the applications that I'm working on at the moment so this is my sort of experience I do have I would say quite a lot of experience with um, IT development, IT programming, but I always feel like I know a lot, I know a few things of everything and I managed to do them kind of badly, but that's besides the point. So now I'm going to talk to you about some terms that you might find in uh, IT job listings. So let's start with front end and back-end. Those terms are kind of being thrown around quite a lot in job listings and they are the most, let's say, specific terms that a recruiter can use like or a HR department can use to entail people to get into applying. So you know if you're front-end or back-end, how do you know that? By what you're doing. Um, So front-end, it's a term that Revolves around that um, specifies anything that an end user interacts with. So, let's talk about a web service. The front end is the web page itself, like what the user interacts with. You know, all the like the the web page in itself. So, technology is used in the front end side, front end in the front end development sphere are things like H- of course html xml php those are languages used to uh, talk to a web browser to display things uh, also markdown is getting quite popular then uh, we have other things um, we have other technologies that are used like css and bootstrap those are technologies those are css is not a proper programming programming language it, it's used to style things make things look pretty. Bootstrap is a CSS framework. So there's that. Then you have JavaScript, TypeScript, React, AngularJS, UWP, which stands for Universal Windows Platform. Those are, these languages that I mentioned are proper um, programming languages. And they do things in the back, like in the background of the front end, but they are considered front end programming languages because they directly interact with the user. So JavaScript, TypeScript, React, Angular.js, UWP, many, many more languages. So the front end is anything and everything that the user, the end user interacts with. So think about web pages. Think about UIs in programs. That's more front end. Well in generally front end developers work closely with UX and UI designers to get those designs ready for development and they also can guide the ux and ui designer with the limitations of the languages that they're working with or with the technologies that they're working with so some things might not be possible with a certain language that can be possible with another language these are the that's the gist of it when it comes to front end and the other term that gets thrown around a lot is back end, which means basically everything that goes behind the scenes and backend is way way more it's a way broader term to use than front end because front end is just mostly related to end user interaction while backend can mean a lot of things it can mean proper application development or it can also refer to database programming and development which are two separate things, like you don't develop a database within an application, you do that separately and then you integrate the database within the um, backend code that it's made, like that it's used. So as I said, technologies that, you know, so backend, it's everything that goes behind the scenes and makes things work. Like in an application, for example, the front end just does the UI interactions and things while the backend, crunches numbers and computes things uh, to make those things that you do in the front-end work. So let's split these technologies into two. Let's talk about database first, which is actually the easiest way to get into backend, because database programming is, I would say, the simplest way to get into backend programming because it's not as hard. Um, SQL is a very, very simple language to learn. So because it's really also human-like, you don't really need to crunch numbers, You, it's really simple. Like the structure and the syntax that SQL uses is very simple. So I would suggest if you want to get into backend, maybe you don't like it, doesn't matter, but if you like something, if you like things simple and you want to get into backend development, go with uh, database development. It's very, very, very. Very simple, and I noticed while I was doing courses with my trainee mates, um, when I started in in, Tata Consultancy Services, that pretty much everyone was getting grasped with it pretty easily. So you can go with with database development. So the many technologies, there are many technologies that are used in um, database development. The most popular ones are Oracle, MySQL, SQL, like Postgres SQL, and things like MariaDB um, so on and so forth. Those are all languages that, and technologies that are used into the database side of things. So databases are those programs, I would say, yeah, they can be called fully-fledged programs or pieces of information that store data and they can be retrieved by applications To do certain things or to display things like think about a search function in a in a normal program. Uh, A search function generally is tied to a database because it needs to show you from a database what you're looking for. And you know, queries are tied from between the front end and the back end. So everything is sort of integrated together. Then we have the application development itself, and generally in the back end. When you talk about backend development, you are talking about compiled and object-oriented programming languages like, for example, Java, Kotlin, various flavors of C, C++, C Sharp, C, uh, C Flats like C Vanilla. Also, Python. Even though Python is an interpreted language, I'm not getting, I'm not going to get into what it, what's the difference between a compiled language and an interpreted language. So, just to tell you, any lay in the lamest terms, in Java, like in compiled languages, you can place anything wherever you want in the code, and the compiler would just like you know point or like point. The compiler would just like go through the program, point at things, and it will work. While in a interpreted language like Python, everything goes top to bottom. So. Maybe you are referring to something on top of the um, at the top of the code, while it is not declared, and you will declare you're going to declare it at the bottom. The program just grinds to a halt because it doesn't know what to do. So that's the in the simplest terms, what's the difference between a compiled and a interpreted language? Things like program like technologies and programming languages like Java, C++, C C sharp, C Python are so on python and r are more languages that are used for python is used for data analytics as well as machine learning so python is the go-to language to train in an artificial intelligence with neural networks to get to do things and r is a language used for generating statistics and compiling um, visual it can it can do a lot of things. It can compile like data into a visual representation, things like that. So those are more niche. Like Python is not a niche language, but R is definitely a niche language. Generally, it's used for statistics, while Python has a pretty has a more general purpose in a way. Another like a third I would say area of backend is system administration duties. So everything that goes into configuring, installing, updating a server is what I consider backend. Things like learning how to use Linux. In most companies, if they're using a server, they run a Linux server. Things like also scripting languages like Bash and Perl are very important in the system configuration and system administration side of things. Because you need scripts to make things like to automate things within your server just to check that things are working fine or to notify you if any problems might arise. Same thing with Perl. Perl actually is not more it's not tied to the server itself, but you can use Perl scripts also to do things in the system or to let's say send messages like text messages to a person. Uh, Yeah, you can do that with Perl. And just interaction with uh, databases, you can do that with Perl as well. So that's the main difference between front-end and back-end. So front-end is everything that has to deal with end-user interaction, while back-end is everything that is behind the scene. And maybe you will find in some job listings the term full stack, which basically means that you are capable of doing both front-end and back-end development, so you are the complete package. And it's getting rarer and rarer that companies hire full-stack developers. In some cases, they're useful, but I've seen many, many companies splitting the duties into front-end team and a back-end team. Just to make to keep things I would say simpler and less stressful for a full stack developer because a full stack developer might need to work on both ends of the program of a program at once and that can become a pretty stressful stressful duty so front end, back end, and full stack are the main let's say drawing terms that people use that recruiters use to draw in um, potential applicants then you have the type of position that you are going into, things like internship, a junior level position, a mid-level position, or senior level position. Let's think with the intern position. Uh, an intern generally does not need to have work experience, but it needs to have a basic knowledge of what they're doing. For example, if they're looking for a front-end trainee, he might have studied at school or university front-end technologies, but he has he or she has never worked with front-end technologies. Like, yeah, you're doing projects at school, but school projects and working on a proper project as your job is a completely different thing. So you are getting in to learn how to work in a proper IT environment. So generally, you go there to learn, but that means there it has its own drawbacks generally interns are paid poorly or sometimes companies go with the unpaid internship route just to save on costs and generally intern traineeship and internships are a fixed term position so you are sure to you're sure that you're tied to that position for just a certain period like a certain period like in a matter of months like six months or a year or maybe only for the summer period generally in the summer trainees get hired a whole bunch because uh, generally in summer is the summer is the probably the quietest in the it field because many people especially in the nordics many people go on holiday in the summer so it's just it's just like it's easy to you know start let's say in the, at the end of april beginning of may when uh, schools are over as well so you have like an intern can just work for the summer not doing anything else and you get in like end of april early may and the your your colleagues will teach you things and then June during or june, june or july your colleagues go on a holiday and they're like okay you will do what i was just you, you are going to do what I told you to do, so that's it. And then after like in August or something, they're like, okay, your your time here is done. Go back to school. You will graduate, and then you will uh, you will get into and you will get into a position. Maybe like some companies, there it's very it's pretty rare, but some companies tend to hire interns where they are when they are at the sort of end. Of their studies so they can hire them immediately right after they graduated so it's just easier for the company because they know the person already or for the team in itself they know the person already so it doesn't like it doesn't change much and the intern gets a sort of safety net where you can just like you know you you start your internship, and in a couple of months, you graduate. Then you finish your internship, and then you can start working as a proper team member and a proper, like as proper personnel in the in the space. So that's the internship, in a way. Then you have junior positions that generally require either one or two years of front-end web experience. And then you have the mid-level positions that require between two and five years of working experience while senior positions do require five or more years of experience so you when you have to get into IT you start as a trainee and then you move your way up as a junior and then you get into a mid-level position and then one day you might get into senior positions some people prefer to stay in mid-level positions for quite a long time or some people maybe for recognition. Maybe they've been doing pretty well while in a mid-level position. They might jump the gun and get into a senior position way earlier than the average five or plus years. So that's about it for the few terms that I wanted to discuss. But mm, I have a a question that many people actually ask. And it's pretty i would say stereotypical in a way but that's that stereotype that's sort of like um not to say cliche is getting drawn back quite a lot nowadays because <laughs> if you look at it personnel they don't look like people in the it space they don't look like your average let's say 90s nerds anymore so you know, uh, the picture of and variety of people getting into the IT field is getting bigger and bigger. So a question that many people ask to, you know, like developers and things like that is, do you need to be good in math or physics to become a developer? The short answer is no. Like I have two answers. The short answer, as I said, is no. But the long answer is No. If you do not work in a gaming company. Why? Why do I say that? Because I know that a lot of people are drawn into programming and developing because of video games. And that can be a little bit deceiving. Because if you want to get work into a... You know, if you want to get to work in the gaming industry as a developer, then... You might need to get to know math, like, like advanced principles of mathematics and physics, quite well, because you might need to build a game engine from scratch, and that, being a game engine, needs to handle physics, and to make physics, you need to know physics first. And also to draw polygons, to draw vertices to make a polygon, you need to know math, like advanced math, like advanced concepts of math, uh, mathematic interests. So for things that I do myself as a developer, no, I don't need to know math. Like I don't need to know those advanced mathematical um, notions. I don't need to know... Anything physics related, I mean, personally, I do know physics, but not the physics that you are sort of like, well, if you're talking about gaming, most likely physics, the physics that you're going to touch upon while developing a game engine would be gravity, collisions, thermodynamics, in some sense. Mostly my physics, like area of interest, is nuclear physics. I don't know, it's very interesting to me, so, but it's a bit complicated, I would say. So, and I am, well, I was pretty good at maths during, well, junior high. Then I started high school and they, th- they started to throw letters into numbers and I was, then I totally lost it. So, well, I was doing good enough to, you know, get decent grades, but. More than that, like, I wasn't capable of. So, well, to know programming, you might need just a basic knowledge of math, you know, because getting to most programs do use things called loops. And generally loops use, like, counters and iterators. So generally, like, you know, you go through a thing and then the iterator goes up one or that one, depending on the the, the 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 operation that you're trying to do. So but generally you don't need a good knowledge of math like mathematical um, of a mathematical from a mathematical standpoint or a physical stand or a physics standpoint. But if you're working as a developer and you're building a game engine on your own, then yeah you need to know how to draw vectors to create polygons and you need to know how to program quote-unquote gravity, collisions, and in some case, thermodynamics. But there is also the fact that in the gaming industry, nowadays, many gaming, like the software development, like many software houses, which are those, sorry, game studios, that's the correct word, many game studios use game engines that are, that are already pre-built and have ready things, you know, ready... Uh, physical principles on it, you know, you can touch upon gravity, you can work on collisions like things. Uh, commercially available game engines like Unity um, and Unreal Engine, which are engines that I or you can also download and try upon, um, they do not need a lot of funneling around with those things. So you should be good to go in no time. But, if you are a game studio, if you are hired as a developer in a game studio that uses a custom built engine, or they're learning to make an engine, like a game engine from scratch, then you need to know many, many, many principles regarding mathematical uh, complexity and mathematical drawing of vectors, and as I said, polygons to create the things that will make part of the game. And also, as I said, physical properties such as gravity, surface, ten- also surface tension. If you, if you want to make a realistic um, simulation of water, that's basically what you do. You simulate what real physics would do, well, in an approximation uh, of real physics, of real-world physics. So, yeah, that was pretty much it. Sorry for the rambling at the end, but that was pretty much the answer to the question. Do you need to be good in math or physics to become a developer? So, yeah, the short answer is no. The long answer, no. But if you work in a game studio, you might need to rush on your your math or algebra and physics. So that was about it for this week's episode. I would like to thank you for the support. I've seen that this podcast is sort of starting to garner attention. In quite a few places, so I thank you so much for that. So, if you want to hear, if you want to hear more, of course, you can join by subscribing to the podcast on your podcast platform of your choice. Whether it would be Anchor, where is my hosting platform? So that that that's the platform where I host podcasts. Um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, Breaker, wherever you get my my voice from. So. Once again, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode of True Talk. Till then, have a good one.